We're the Avengers. We can bust arms dealers all the live long day, but that up there, that's, that's the end game. How are you guys planning on beating that? Together. Welcome everybody to the monthly movie Dispatch. Every month we get together and we discuss our favorite new movies, what we saw last month, and what we think are the best movies out there. We pick a new favorite and answer questions about it. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends, and we'd be discussing movies even if no one was listening. I'm here with three of my really good friends, best friends from high school. We've got Brandon Brandon, the movie man, Bulby. He sees everything out there. How's it going, Brandon? Hey, Nick. Sorry, I'm a little excited today. We have a lot of great movies to talk about. We got uh, Derek Whatcha Deal. Hello. And uh, Sean Bowlby. Just Sean? I only get Sean Bowlby? Yeah, man. I haven't come up with a nickname for you yet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's me. Um, so, anyway, we have a lot going on this month. Uh, this is the first month of uh, the summer movie wager. So, we're going to be going over our summer movie wager picks. We've all got four movies to talk about that we brought to the table for this month. And... Uh, I think we have a contest winner, so let's get let's get started. Uh, we have the the summer movie wager is an annual thing that we basically ripped off from the slash film cast. Shout out to Dave Chen and Jeff Kanata. Um, we just we love the contest so much. It's such a fun way to uh, keep track of movies uh, throughout the summer. Basically, um, we each pick our top ten. Movies that we think are going to make the most money. And uh, throughout the summer, you'll see as they come out which ones uh, which ones are doing great. I just thought that we should have a little bit of a breakdown. But you can find all of this online at thesummermoviewager.com. You can play along. You can keep track of uh, our scores, too. I'm Mothman. Uh, we all have our names. We'll put a link to our specific contest in the show notes. So if you want to follow our contest online, you can. Um, or you can submit your own picks and play along. Um, it's 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 pretty it's pretty exciting. And uh, there's only there's there's a lot of movies that are coming out, but there's probably only like 15 to 20 that are really going to have a chance of making that top that top 10. I mean, I'm talking about like. I mean, we all know that Avengers Endgame is going to be number one, and it, they, that's why they started the summer in April. It, most people would never consider the real summer starting in April, but because it's Avengers Endgame, it's going to make the most money throughout the summer. I mean, this movie's going to be making money through through May into June. Like, it's... It's it's gonna do very well. So it's it's far and away the number one movie. So let's say this. I think there there's a chance that if we just stopped counting Avengers Endgame's uh box office earnings after this weekend, it still might make number one. Right. <laughs> so that's why Endgame is it's it's counting during the contest, but it's it's far and away number one. But the other movies that people like are strong cons- considerations are like the lion king toy story 4 the secret life of pets aladdin spider-man hobbs and shaw godzilla dark phoenix men in black detective pikachu rocket man john wick three uh child's play door in the explorer yesterday <laughs> like th- there's a lot of movies that are coming out so so we all like, made our picks um what are some of our big discrepancies like or 
don't know. Uh, I think the top three are pretty clear. Um, what do we think the top three movies are going to be? I would like to jump in here a little bit and right off the get-go, I'm the only person who put The Lion King at number two and Toy Story 4 at number three. All three of you guys did the flip opposite. And I think this is going to be one of the funnest drama things to watch <clears throat> of the uh, mm-hmm. of the summer. And especially it's going to be right like, coming up pretty quick is when both those movies are coming out. Wait, that'll be early that's summer. June, right? Yeah, that, I think they both come mm-hmm. on June or July. Yeah. Toy Story's June. Uh, they're like a month apart. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I, I seriously, that's, that's going to be the big drama of the summer. I totally agree with you. Um, because like both of them, if you look at the highest spot, the highest grossing movies, uh, domestically beauty and the beast and Incredibles two are back to back. And like, I feel like the same thing could happen with these two movies where like, is the lion King going to make beauty and the beast type money is toy story four going to make Incredibles two type money. Like, well, I think, I think- I think Pixar's on a roll right now where almost every movie they put out, as long as it's part of a franchise, breaks the record for the highest grossing animated movie of all time. They, I think they've done that like three movies in a row now. Wow. It's like Toy Story 3, Finding Dory, and The Incredibls all broke all the record. Th- all three sequels to yeah. beloved Pixar franchises. Yeah. I, I feel like you guys are underestimating like what Lion King means to everybody from like whether you're you know 70 years old now all the way to bringing little children to it like i think it's such a specific phenomenon that it's going to do beauty and the beast money every time i see that trailer the the, the problem is it just makes me think about how good the cartoon is it doesn't get me excited for this movie at all and I'm, I'm curious like how much that's really like people are really getting excited to see what is very much looking like a shot for shot remake of this cartoon. I also feel like uh, the Lion King is encroaching onto Toy Story's uh, territory where like the last, uh, you know, the last three highest grossing Pixar movies were summer releases. And the only really big um, live action remake movie came out in March um, Beauty and the Beast came out in March, which really is the only big box office smash hit of of those movies that came out with no competition whatsoever. And, you know, this summer is packed full of kids family movies with. Right. That is the difference between Beauty and the Beast is it's time it's being released and the movies around it. I guess Lion For King sure. does have like a clear path once it comes out, too. It's like the last really big you know it's the last disney movie of the summer and it's really the last really big movie hobbs and shaw but i don't know how much those are gonna like cross paths as far as audience and stuff yeah totally and hobbs and shaw too is it, it being a spinoff is it going to make you know fate of the furious money or is it gonna make spinoff money we're pretty all uniform on our hobbs and shaw predictions um plus or minus seven six seven and eight yeah mm-hmm. Um, I'm really curious about what your guys' number 10 movie was, because that's the one. Number one and number 10 are the movies that have they'll give us more points if you nail it right on its head. So I'm, I'm curious about what movies you guys had at number 10. Um, I'm looking at Men in Black along with Sean. We both have that as our number 10. 
and you don't even have it on wait neither of you guys even have it on your list and derek doesn't even have it as a dark horse what is going on derek fuck that movie <laughs> what <laughs> i mean i'm not saying it's gonna be good <laughs> either but no i don't i don't know like that movie's just not on my radar at all yeah um, i think it's I'm like i'm not really expecting uh, it to do a whole lot I'm kind of thinking it'll do as good or better than the last Men in Black movie. Like, I feel like the last Men in Black movie was kind of a stale trilogy. By or by the end, it was a pretty stale trilogy. No one really cared. Whereas this one, it seems like they're doing a, a new thing. There's a whole new cast. It's a it's a, f- a fun, um, interesting filmmaker behind it. Um, I, I, and it's kind of a reboot of the franchise. Yeah, guys, Men in Black 3 made $180 million. Yeah. So, I mean, even if it does like a handful of money worse than that, it's still going to be around the top 10. But see, that's the thing is like, I feel like that's why I have it at the Dark Horse. I was actually fighting between Men in Black at number 10 or that Tarantino movie. So I put it once more time in Hollywood there, which I know is a risk because it's an, it's an R-rated movie. But I think people are going to be really excited about Tarantino. And mm-hmm. uh, just just with the other ones, like Aladdin and Rocketman, like, again, I'm betting that Rocketman makes Bohemian Rhapsody money. I'm betting that Aladdin is going to be making, like, you know, this Disney money. But um yeah, I mean, I think people are going to be really excited about Tarantino. That's why I put uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there at number 10. I'm curious if you know off the top of your head what Tarantino films have made over 100, 100K. Definitely. I like surprisingly uh, actually, I a that, lot. Yeah, I Django, and, right Django and Chain did. For oh, sure. Wow. I think. Okay. Yeah, so Inglorious Bastards made 120, Django made 160. Yeah. Holy Django shit. Django is his highest grade. I didn't yeah. look this up. Uh, what was, yeah. what was his last one? Um, uh, Hateful Eight. Eight. That, was, that was a little different, though. That kind of yeah. Hateful yeah. Eight was like definitely a full on Tarantino movie, but it was also had that yeah. unique releasing situation yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah. And the I feel like that movie's just so different. I feel like Django Unchained was like the last really like Tarantino movie that people were like, you gotta go see that new Tarantino movie. And since that one made more than Men in Black 3, I was thinking, okay, well, I'm gonna go with. The Hollywood movie. Shit, I'm scared, Nick. You may have landed Espe- this one. I totally especially, forgot. Especially Star Power, too, with Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio going up against, like, I don't know, Chris Hemsworth. I'm just like, like I don't know, the drawing power there. Yeah, and another thing is um, most of the big Quentin Tarantino movies, I guess aside from Inglorious Bastards was also an August release, but Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and, like, Kill Bill... At least, I guess, Kill Bill Volume One. Those were, um, those were fall winter releases. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is encroaching into summer territory that it doesn't, that his kind of his movies don't typically release in. Wait, so did you guys have that? Did you guys have that movie on your list at all, or no? Uh, I have it as a dark horse. Not gonna lie, I forgot about that movie. I would have probably put it at least in my dark horse. So I didn't even remember it until you. What is this JW3 (laughs) that no one else has? Everyone's going to see John Wick 3. How is it not on your guys' list? It's a hard R, man. It's a hard R. The last one made 75 million, didn't crack 100. It's it's got a really solid fan base, I think. And I think that it's going up with every movie. When is it releasing? I think it's it's releasing like in the next few weeks. May 17th. Yeah, so it's I don't know. I guess it's 
it's still going to be competing with um, Infinity or uh, Endgame. Um, and then there's like some other movies coming out in in May. Um, let's see. I think the biggest thing is going to be, yeah, like the, I think if anything, Detective Pikachu, even though it's like not R at all, but um, I feel like John Wick 3 kind of pulls a different kind of audience than most rated R movies. You know, there's an actual, like, there's a deep lore in John Wick, and, like, it pulls kind of from the more the geeky side of the of those kinds of movies as opposed to, like, I don't know, like, Taken or something, you know, some other rated R action movie. But it would have to double its, its uh, box office from John Wick 2 just to be a contender for number 10, which, which would put it around... Number 10. I, I think I'm banking on other movies making less money. I'm not banking on it doubling. I'm thinking that the top three are going to steal all the money and these lower movies are going to make a lot less money than we're thinking. Right. Like watch uh, Detective Pikachu and Aladdin and Rocketman are just going to bomb. Like they're just yeah. going to bomb. And then John Wick 3 will be right there for Derek to pick up the pieces. Like, like, do you guys know how popular Pikachu is? Like, is Pokemon still popular? Oh, it's so popular. I mean, Pokemon Go. I mean, Poke, yeah, Pokemon Go, but like, years ago. kids are just like are detect- just as into it. Like, I feel like Hobbs and Shaw and Detective Pikachu are kind of right in that same thing. Like, like we know Fast and Furious has the potential to make over a billion dollars at the box office. <laughs> But it's like Will Hobbs and Shaw detected like Pikachu. I know that there's just this gigantic audience for it, but it's like, will they show up to the theaters for is the question. Right. They've never done Again, it before. A, no one's ever done it. It's a packed it, so. family. It's a packed family movie summer for sure. Yeah. With uh, <clears throat> Lion King, Toy Story 4, Aladdin, um, uh, Detective Pikachu, and then um, Secret Life of Pets. Um, yeah. And then, like, there's a couple other smaller ones that I'm sure aren't going to make that much money, but maybe they're going to steal a little bit of money from these movies. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's a packed summer. I'm excited. There's looks like I, a lot of these movies look great too. Like, I'm I'm pretty excited. I'm excited to play the game. It's always fun. Uh, it's always fun looking at the movies every week and seeing how seeing how things change. Um, Anyway, uh, so basically the the winner of the contest gets to pick a movie for us all to watch at the end of the summer. So um, Brandon, he won last year's contest. And the year before, and, two-time reigning champion. And the year before, and pretty much every other contest that we've played. So that Besides brings me trivia. to... <laughs> that, brings, that brings me to our next segment. Uh, last, uh, last month we had a contest because... Uh, Based on the Academy Awards, so whoever won, whoever guessed the, the amount of winners for the Academy Awards, got to pick a movie that we all had to watch. And once again, Brandon won that contest, and he chose first to watch uh, a movie. Uh, Brandon, do you want to introduce this movie? Tell us about it. Yeah. So the movie I chose last month for us to watch was a movie called Hunger. Are you all right, Bobby? I'm grand, Mark. Are they feeding you all right? I'm starting a hunger strike on the 1st of March. You're going head to head with a British government who are unshakable. So I first watched Hunger maybe 
five years ago. Uh, this is Steve McQueen, the director of the Oscar award-winning 12 Years a Slave film. Uh, this is his debut movie, um, and it's very much a Irish film in every right, um, and that's where he's from. I, when I first saw this movie, it absolutely blew me away. Just one of the best debut films I think I've ever seen. And uh, I know, Nick, you've already seen it now twice, but uh, I'm glad Sean and Derek got to check it out. And uh, re-watching this movie was kind of a trip. Um, I think it slightly moved a little bit down, just ever so slightly. Um, I kind of realized how like actually little the film is about and how like contained and tight it is. Um, and it maybe didn't blow me away in that regard as much the second time through, because I kind of already knew the politics they were trying to explain. But on the same front, the style, just scene to scene and the ideas that he carries through, um, there's like not an ununique moment in this entire hour and a half. And it's just one like brilliant scene after brilliant scene. And uh, it's a pretty impressive film to watch. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, so when I first saw this movie, I saw it in, uh, in Amsterdam and we were just, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. And suffice to say, it was, it was very, it was very intense. And, um, I had, you know, at the time I had no idea that it was a, um, it was like a prison movie that was about a protest, a hunger protest. Um, I mean, and even 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 today, I I forgot how much of it wasn't just about the hunger protest. It was also about the, um, the cleanliness protest. How they how they were trying to infect themselves with germs, yeah. uh, as as a form of protest. And um, man, this movie is very very intense and um, hard to watch. And it it's it's amazing though, like the the way it's put together, the different scenes. Um, I don't know how in depth we want to get in on. I but. mean, let me interject real quick. I I ordered some Thai curry <laughs> to to like eat while oh, watching no. this movie, and I forgot <laughs> about like you're saying the like germs and the different types of protests they do. Like I couldn't finish my meal. I had to like put it in the fridge and wait yeah, till the movie was definitely. over. It, it's yeah, definitely. disturbing. Um, and what about what about you guys? Uh, what did you guys think? Yeah, um, it it uh, it hit me pretty hard, um, as you guys know. I sent you guys a picture of me just laying on the floor. Um, yeah, how long were you down there for, Sean? <laughs> oh, not that long. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, it was uh, it it was uh, such an intense movie, um, and I do wish that I had. I knew more about the history of uh, Northern Ireland conflict. I don't even know what you what you really call it um, with the Protestants, Catholics, Republicans, I believe parliamentar- parliamentarians. Um, the, the politics yeah. are very confusing in real life, to me at least. As an yeah. American yeah. who doesn't know much about the politics, I find them very confusing. Like I just watched mm-hmm. uh, that Daniel Day-Lewis movie um, – 
a few a few months ago in the name of the father father? yeah yeah. and uh even after watching that i was still very confused by a lot of the politics and this Mm -hmm. movie just drops you right into the middle of it where um they don't they don't it's like an hbo show where they don't bother to explain anything to you set up anything you're just you're just in there in this moment of what they're going Uh through and like all the politics, the bigger politics and what's going on is more on the periphery too. So it's not even like, it doesn't even drop you into it and, and start you going on what's going on. It's just like everything that's going on and all the pr- political pressure that's on these people is in the periphery and you don't even get a sense of it while you're watching the movie. Until that um, 17 which I, I don't think is take pops in. Yeah. And that's like, yeah two thirds of the way through the movie. And then Mm -hmm. you start getting some context slightly. Yeah. Which, and honestly, that's not a criticism at all. Like that, I found that really interesting to just drop you into the middle of this conflict and just like, it gives you a real sense of the weight of, of what's going on and the importance of what they're doing and, and how it affects the lives of all these people. Um, yeah. What'd you think, Derek? Yeah. Um, it was good. Uh oh. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I kind of felt similar with. Um, um. Fuck. What was the movie? Loveless. We watched. No, I didn't. I haven't watched what Loveless, but oh. the uh, Roma. There Leviathan. we go. Roma. Um. Was yeah. No. I. I feel like. I really wish I just knew more about that subject because I think it would have like in that time period in that place it would have made it a lot more interesting to me. Um, obviously it's a really well-made movie and it's incredibly disturbing, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to like, like I can't say I enjoyed it. Um, but I think it was a good movie. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Uh, Brandon, like how how are you, man? Like uh, you know, every contest you you win the contest, and then you you make us watch these movies. You doing okay? It's it's <laughs> it's not about the torture porn of this movie. I mean, to me, what it's about is like that shot when he's hallucinating out of his mind, and for the first and only time in the movie, the camera just like flies overhead like a bird. Um, as he's just like slowly drifting off into death or the like super long shot of them just wiping up the like urine on the ground that goes on for six minutes. Um, and, or just the guy dipping his knuckles into the water and you don't know what's happening until like another half hour through the movie. Um, when he punches the wall and he's just bleeding, it's like all these moments that are so above and beyond creative, um, or that when he's outside smoking the cigarette in the snow, that's just like one of the most jaw-droppingly beautiful like shots yeah. I've ever seen. And like covered in sweat and like stressed the fuck and, out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's obviously there's obviously like a brilliance and a skill too that just goes behind being able to make something feel so real and like raw. Like because this is a movie, this is all you know. They they made us feel all that through their technical prowess and stuff. And so from that, that perspective, like I, I, I can always uh, respect these kind of movies. It's just hard for me to like, 
uh, gush about him because I don't know what to like. <laughs> I don't know how to say something positive about what I witnessed besides the fact that they're like what they're able to do is incredible that a filmmaker is able to pull that off is really incredible. Steve McQueen is, is a genius. He is a master filmmaker on par with anyone, um, anyone who has ever worked in the film industry. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's amazing for a, for a debut film and not only for a debut, it's an amazing film and it's his debut. Uh, it's remarkable. The, the structure of it, the way it, like you don't even really meet your main protagonist until 20 minutes into the movie, 30 minutes into the movie. Right. So when they cut his hair, that's a different person than the two we followed up until that point. Right. Yeah. But the I thing is, is so, that it yeah. doesn't really matter that they're a different yeah. person. Yeah. Because they're kind of, they were doing the same thing really up until that point. Yeah. That's so, that's so interesting that they did that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, just wanted to highlight one last thing is, uh, the ending, uh, Michael Fassbender and what he does with just like, w- with like one breath and the, uh, the f- like flashbacks that they intercut when that moment hits, it like takes my breath away. Yeah. Uh, Fassbender's one of the best actors working today. I think top five. This was before like his, um, uh, before his big, like inglorious bastards, like star making stuff. They, he discovered him in this film, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. This was kind of his like, yeah, discovery movie. So nice. Okay. That's um, it's kind of weird. Sorry, just one last thing. It's just if that is that's that's really cool to know because, like, knowing who he is already and going back, it's like when he comes onto the screen, we we like know the weight that he carries already. Right. But that's really cool to see that 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 would have been like our first time seeing him. And the, fir- the first time you see him too, he's got all that hair and you don't necessarily recognize him at first either. Like, yeah, like Shannon was like, is Michael Fassbender in this movie? And I'm like, yeah, that that's him. And then they cut his hair and then you can see his eye. Like that was the tell point for me was, yeah, look that that's his eye right there. And um, yeah, then it's totally Fassbender takes over the movie. Yeah. Sweet. Thanks for watching guys. I know it was rough, but yeah, no, uh, I, I, I'm honestly glad it was 90 minutes. Like you said that as a joke in the last episode, that hey, it's a breezy 90 minutes, but it was like it actually the pace was really great. And um, I don't know if I could have handled much more of it, but um, so, um, yeah, it was great. So we're going to move into our uh, featured movie sections. Uh, Derek, you picked the first movie of this month. Yes, my movie I picked was Shazam. Right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. So Shazam is, uh, the IMDb description is, well, it's not a very good description. It says, we all have a superhero inside us. It just takes a bit of magic to bring it out. In Billy Batson's case, by shouting one word, Shazam, this streetwise 14-year-old foster kid can turn into a grown-up superhero. Shazam. Such elaborate prose. 
<laughs> yeah. So um, I loved this movie, and I didn't even have like super high hopes going into it. It's got a cool things, a couple cool things going for for it. It's the same director behind Animal Creation, which uh, we've I've reviewed on this podcast, and I love that movie a lot. So um, it was it's cool. I like I like seeing this weird like world that we have right now, where all these horror movie directors are being brought in to make superhero movies, and they tend to make some of the best ones. And for me, I thought this movie was right up there. Um, just a couple things running through. I thought that um, it reminded me of like it and how it treated its um, its young leads. I thought that it gave them like a, a good grounded world and like, uh, you know, they built up a lot of empathy for them. We like see where they come from and see the troubles they're facing. But then like normal kids, they're constantly breaking it up with humor or like, you know, dumb, dumb little kid jokes. And, you know, um, I thought I just thought they found that really great balance to 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 have with those with that. So I did that. The, the dark stuff didn't quite bring it down for me. Um, and this movie was crazy funny. Like there was points in this movie where the theater was laughing so hard and this movie's still going. There wasn't like a breathing room. It was like they were laughing so hard. I couldn't even tell what they're saying on the screen. Like it was just uproarious laughter. Um, and then I just loved the other thing this movie did that was just so cool is about it mixed in some horror and a good chunk of fantasy elements. And just I thought just everything they tried to do, they did really well. And I think they did it. They, they broke out of the DC formula in a way that made this feel really unique. And um, I think they just made sure not to like drop the ball on any one thing. So everything just felt like fresh and it felt like it was doing it right. And overall, I just, I really liked it. The whole thing. So, um, so you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, so what did you think about the juxtaposition of the really light and kind of kitty humor with uh, the really serious and um, pretty dark and brutal um, action and death scenes? Like, do you think that that was kind of a clash of those two, like two different tones for this movie or or do you think it enhances it? Cause I, I don't think most movie, I think a lot of movies are scared to do that. When, um, when I saw the villain like melt that woman into ash and the like shot did not <laughs> cut away and they just let her just like perish like that in front of your eyes, my jaw dropped. Like that was horrifying. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Obviously, I love that. But, uh, like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that that brought me back to, like, uh, uh, Indiana Jones and stuff. Like, like that was that's how Indiana Jones was for me as a kid. There was stuff I couldn't watch. I was too scared. Like, the the Nazis melting at the end and, you know, the, the guys tearing out people's hearts. And that, that was just something I remember from my childhood. So, actually, seeing them, yeah, not cut away from that stuff in here. I think I was telling whoever I saw it with uh, one of my other friends, I was telling him, like, in any other movie, the second he closes that door 
or, you know, the second he spawns his deadly sins behind him, they cut away. You know, that's just how those scenes normally play out. And the fact that they just stay in there and you just watch him massacre all those people. And then like, and they add the humor into it with like, you know, cutting to the receptionist, like, like, yeah, looking through the glass, trying to figure out what's happening in there. Like, I love that. I think they found that perfect balance of like being able to bring back what I remember from my childhood of that horror stuff and, and trusting that kids are going to be okay with it. And it might even create a special moment for them, you know, because you might not, who knows how, how often people are going to do that kind of risky thing again, you know? So I think it's cool that they were able to pull it off. Yeah. I feel like I hear that a lot. Like people saying that it's like, things are too scary for kids, even in kids movies. Like, yeah, it's just, but I, I, everyone I talk to, it's like, they, I love that stuff. Like E.T. was, there's some really scary moments in E.T., but I loved it. And Indiana Jones and, um, even Jurassic Park, uh, seeing that as a kid, like scary stuff is fun for a kid or aliens. When my dad showed us aliens, aliens was not fun. Scary. (laughs) I saw Jurassic Park at four years old in the theaters. No way. Derek. Yeah. I'm not joking. That is my first memory is seeing Jurassic Park. That's such a great first memory. (laughs) Holy moly. I remember, I remember my parents, my dad and my brother (laughs) going to the theater for Jurassic Park and being left behind and being jealous that they went. That was my first memory, but wow. That's so cool, Derek. Holy moly. So I'm, I'm kind of, sorry, Derek, I'm not really on the same page as you with this film. Um, but to start out, I do agree with you. Um, with a lot of like, I don't know if it's necessarily, maybe the like second third of the movie. Um, a lot of the kid stuff and the discovering of powers and the YouTube uploads, I actually had a pretty big blast with that stuff as far as origin story goes. Even like the convenience store, store scene was like really fun and different. But this morning I was trying to think back at what I was gonna say for this movie and I realized I like was having troubles even recollecting what happened in the entire climax, um, mostly because I watched Infinity War, Captain Marvel, and Endgame since I saw this movie. Um, but I think that kind of goes to like see show you kind of what how I think about this film is that it's kind of just a a lot of it felt like a nothingness to me. Um, and like, I feel like everything that happened with the wizard in the like alternate world and, uh, the villain's motivation and storyline of tracking him down just like was just really flat and there wasn't much uniqueness to this origin besides maybe the funness in the uh, middle part of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of sad to say, but I think there's like in this day and age, there is a lot of credit to give to, now this is changing, but to give to someone that actually has a fully developed villain. And I get that it is kind of flat, you know, his motivation is very straightforward, but they actually, you know, they, they at least respect the viewer enough to go to put in stuff that explains why he feels the way he does and try to give us some perspective. Whereas, 
70%, I'd say, of the MCU doesn't do that with their villains. As much as those movies work and are great, they usually don't aren't willing to give us that kind of perspective with their villains. And especially not... not and when they do, they tend to fail at being able to give us a reason that actually feels earned, I guess, like in the end. Yeah. And so for like the, the villain in this movie, I thought they, you know, I think they start the movie with his backstory and it's heavy stuff. And, (laughs) And I think they, and I think that like, I, I felt like that character really reflected that stuff in, as an adult in a way that made sense. Even though it's very straightforward, I just think it was it all tracked for me, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. It didn't did it feel like it was um like a wasted thing that they didn't really care about. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas most I feel like most superhero movies they don't really care that much about that stuff. It's very streamlined and fast tracked. So that's that's why I like this one. A strange kind of, I guess, decision that they made in this movie is that the the little bit of a spoiler, we can cut it if we want, but the the villain's um, motivation throughout the whole, or or his motivation for becoming who he was, was his father. Like he wanted to get back at his father and, and then, um, fairly early on that's resolved pretty quickly. I think he also wanted to get revenge on Shazam though. It was like him, his father and Shazam were the, were the people that, Yeah, but he, that was resolved early on too. Like as soon as, um, the main character got his powers, like he didn't have anyone to get revenge for. So it's just kind of like now he's just meandering around, like being a bad guy. Well, I don't think it's that simple. No real motivation. I don't think it was just he wanted to get back at his father. I think part of the whole thing was, you know, he's a bad guy. Like, his father created him, like, turned him into a monster. He was, like, this nice little kid in the beginning that was just treated terribly by his family. Yeah. And so they he built this complex into him that he needs to be, he feels like he needs to be the most powerful in the, person in the world otherwise he doesn't feel like he's worthy of anything killing his father with, or, or you know showing his father proving his father wrong was just part of that but really the whole thing the whole you know the thing we find out at the the end that they kind of it's not even a reveal but you know it was, it was like his ego was like the big thing he couldn't let go of because he had to be the most powerful person in the world and that was kind of like the rounding of that story his father was just a part of that i don't think it was much though yeah um i think i'm somewhere in the middle between uh, all of you guys with this movie i i thought that scene with zachary levi uh becoming shazam for the first time like maybe not just that one scene, but like that, that extended sequence, like that half hour, like that was top scenes in any comic book movie. Like that was just like on fire with him figuring out what his powers were. That was pure comedy gold action. Like that, that was everything I want comic book movies to be. That was so, so flipping great. And the parts I liked about this movie reminded me of like a nineties family film. Uh, just, the, you know, there were a lot of things that just brought me back to the 90s, like 
some of the stuff with the orphans and his group of friends, these ragtag people. Um, and I guess I don't necessarily need to phrase this as a question, but I thought it would have been better if, if they had found ways to keep that vibe a little bit stronger and maybe cut down that, that starkness between the tones didn't really work for me, but I keep hearing you say that that worked for you. And, um, I didn't realize it was the same directors as uh, Annabelle. So coming from a horror background like that, that kind of makes a lot more sense too, that they would, that they would be dark, but um, no, I mean, I, 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 that, that, that portion of the film was definitely like its strongest part for sure. I don't think there's any arguing with that because that was so great. That's the part I'm talking about. Like, especially the convenience store, like, it was just so freaking funny and just so clever. Every little direction they decided to go with testing his abilities and stuff. That was just, yeah, it was just so much fun. Uh, uh, Yeah. I would recommend this movie to most people anyway, but um, that movie was Shazam. Uh, Brandon, do you want to move on to your movie? Yep. So movie I picked for the month is a film called Climax. So the IMDb for Climax is French dancers gather in a remote, empty school building to rehearse on a wintry night. The all-night the all-night celebration morphs into a hallucinatory nightmare when they learn their sangria was laced with LSD. Um, right. So the Man. film Climax, I, I guess this director, Gaspar Noir, Noir um, people, people really like him in the movie indie movie scene. Um, I have never seen any of his films. I can't wait to go back and check some of them out. But this movie was a stylistic trip and a total like fuck nightmare of an experience. Um, (laughs) However, I think it was maybe way more simple and easy to follow than I thought it was going to be, which worked really well with how insane the style was. And so I think putting those two like you know, vast differences together made me respect this movie so much. I gave it four stars, but it's really in between like four and 4.5. It could, it could go anywhere in between those two ratings. It's really organized once you see it and like sectioned off in these very like deliberate chunks that tell you like information about what's going on. And each like section is very contained and it helps just like move the movie through these different paces of what they're going through through the night. Um, the, the cinematography like and editing are super unique. Like it'll go into one like 10 minute shot of just people dancing in like super beautiful choreography. But then like in the next like chunk, switch between like quick snippets of dialogue between this cast of like 25 people as you slowly build up like a little bit of character for each person. So it like really uses the limits of kind of what cinema can do in a cool way. Um, And the movie like also walks a fine line between it's uh, just it being like a psychedelic trip. Um, Kind of like, uh, what was that movie you saw you really liked last year, Nick? 
Mandy. Um, man, yeah, kind in a similar way of Mandy, uh, how this movie ends. Uh, it's, it exists in a world where not everything you're seeing is necessarily like real. You have to kind of like let some of this dance, like create more of an atmosphere than an actual, like, this is what the people are doing at this exact moment kind of thing. Cause if you look at it that way, it just can't work. Um, so they use the dance in this really creative way to like, to put this psychedelic trip on top of you and the way their movements are and what people are doing in the background. And it just really spirals out of control, uh, in that way. So I, I was actually surprised how much I liked this movie. I was excited to see it, but I didn't think I would, it would come together this much for me. So can't wait for you guys to check it out. Gosh, it kind of sounds like Suspiria a little bit. Uh, Yeah. But, um, anyway, I've I've never stylized. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen the newest Suspiria, but um, the original was about dancing and oh, yeah. fucked up style and stuff. But um, um, I've never seen the Gaspar No film, uh, but he has a reputation for making films that are like uh, uh, kind of like a stylized pornography. Mm-hmm. Would you describe this film this way? There. As far as like pornography goes, I think there's probably less just nudity and sex than you'd probably expect. Um, though it is in there. There's definitely some naked people all over the place. Well, from a movie um, called Climax, yeah, from a guy who's yeah. known for this certain thing. Um, I, I think it stretches itself using the, that really impactful imagery over like several different things. Like it's not just fucking and... Um, it's not just violence uh, and it's not just like drugs. It's kind of like a little bit of each. So there are some moments where you like, you know, you, you clench your fist really hard, but they, they are like spaced out enough. I didn't think this film was overload in that regard. Uh, I, my question is what, what did, what is this movie? <laughs> um, and I think like, like, Cause I, I, you know, I read some synopsises and I've, I've heard some reviews and, uh, I watched the trailer and it's, it, I think it would, I still don't get a sense of what this movie is trying to, you, you compared it to Mandy a little bit, but it doesn't, it doesn't even really seem like it. It's, it's like, um, so I guess like, is it, is it doing, do you think it's creating a new, its own genre or is it? elevating or expanding on a genre or like, like um, I said, so, so the movie sounds crazier than it actually is on a story basis. Like the, once you experience the film, you're like, you get exactly what happened and the characters act, act in a way that makes sense for the situation they're in often. And that all really helps. Um, so once you see it, it's kind of like a horror film of people trapped in a small location, you know? It kind of follows like a very simple storyline in that regard. Um, so while you've, I, and that's one thing I really think that helped, like I said before, that it, what this movie is, is actually quite simple, regardless of how, you know, fucking trippy it is. Yeah, this movie just sounds so freaking crazy. I remember seeing trailers for it a while back. Um, and the trailers really feel like they push the horror 
element of it. Like the trailer's kind of creepy. It's really creepy. And um, so I'm just curious, is that what, what, what genre, if you had to like really push it, like which genre do you think it takes part the most in? It's, uh, I mean, I don't want to tell you everything it's not, but like, you know, there's, uh, there's no, there's no demons, uh, and there's no ax murderer. Uh, so, you know, it's not like a straight up horror movie. The horror is that they're on like a horrific LSD trip. So like, uh, you know, you're never like actually terrified, but you are like, you are grossed out at times. So it's, it's not a straight up horror movie. It's more just like a a thriller. I'd say, yeah, more of a style dance thriller. thriller. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Totally. Okay. So that's climax. Um, I want to talk about a movie now. Uh, the movie I chose for this month was Us. There's a family in our driveway. It's probably the neighbors. But y'all scared of a family? Hi, can I help you? Zora, put your shoes on. If you want to get crazy, we can get crazy. <laughs> Us is Jordan Peele's new horror film. A brief plot summary. A family's serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. So I just want to say right now, right now, that we're going to be talking spoilers about this movie. Just because any sort of meaningful description of this movie is a spoiler. Like, I mean, you, what I just read is from the trailer and that's, that's that. Um, but, um, after that, it, it turns kind of, uh, there's, there's, there's very much a possibility that you will get spoiled by something we'll say just because, uh, so much of the plot of this movie is, is wrapped around, uh, not knowing anything. So, um, I loved this movie because like it was a ideal horror movie to me. Like you guys know how much I love horror movies. And, um, this is the kind of horror movie that I like. It has a creepy premise. It unfolds with surprises. Um, it starts, it starts small, you know, starts as, um, Yes, yeah, starts small, almost just a, as a home invasion movie, but then it, it gets a lot bigger and turns into a big concept. Um, I think the characters make a lot of realistic choices that a lot of us would make, like very early on in the movie, uh, when things start getting a little scary, one of the characters immediately calls the police. That's the first thing she does. And when people don't do that in horror movies, it's always like, all right, but you know, you could have called the police or, or run for help. Someone does that very quickly too. Like these are things that people should do in horror movies and they do them in this movie. Um, I love too how the, when this movie does play out, um, it, there's a lot of different ways of interpreting this movie. Um, similar to like the shining where, uh, you can kind of interpret it a lot of different ways. Like, what does it really mean? What happened there? Why did this happen? But what are the filmmakers trying to say? Um, 
I, like, for example, when I, when this movie got over, I saw it with my friend Greg, and he turned to me and he was like, well, that was about this and this and this and this and this. And he just said all these things. And I was like, holy moly, I watched a different movie than you. I didn't even think about any of those things. And I just, I love, I love when movies can be interpreted like that. And um, also, I saw this movie twice. It is a completely different movie the second time you see it. It's uh, similar so to... Fun. It's similar to The Sixth Sense or uh, Fight Club in that way, where you you watch it for a second time and you are just you're 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 watching something different than the people that are sitting next to you who are seeing it for the first time. It's it's like being in on it and you see so much more of what's going on. So um, it's very much like Get Out in that way, if not more so. Yeah, I, I would definitely say more so than Get Out. But um, yeah, uh, Get Out's like that, too. But. Um, yeah, so I loved us, man. I can't wait to see it for a second time. I've like, just since seeing it, I've read so much about like all these little things that I missed and like just how many like little Easter eggs and like little hints he gives you out throughout the whole movie. It sounds, I can't wait to like watch it again. Just not having, not being in complete confusion the whole time, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> but so with get out, I feel like. Jordan Peele's kind of helped bring back some like, you know, he brought he brought home an Academy Award for Get Out for his screenplay. And I think it's giving horror a little bit more of a relevance in or maybe a little bit more respect um, when it comes to, you know, awards and how prestigious these are. And I feel like this movie even more, maybe more so. I liked it more than Get Out. But I think that especially with like Lupita, her performance in this movie is so fucking crazy. Oh, my gosh. So amazing. Yeah. Like, I honestly think she has a chance to get nominated for Best Actress. And especially if this movie is going to be on those kind of radars since Get Out was and even won. So I'm curious. Do you think he do you think this could be a trend? Like, do you think maybe horror movies might working their way into awards more often? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I don't, there's this, there's this new term that's going around a elevated horror, which I don't really buy into. That just basically means that it's a good horror film instead of like every other horror film. That's not good. You know what? But, right. but Jordan Peele, because, because he hit it so hard with get out, um, and get out fought like they fought to get that um that nomination that award it he still carries that same weight of of him people are saying the same sort of the throwing around that term of elevated horror with with this movie because jordan peele is once again like nailing it um i think i think this movie is a little less of a I think I preferred it over Get Out. I think this movie was a better movie for me than Get Out. I thought mm. it was scarier and more complicated. But one of the reasons I think Get Out was nominated was because it was concise and it was saying one specific thing. Like with Get Out, it was it was a movie about racism. And you could look at it and that's that's what it was about. And there were different levels to it being about racism, but it was a movie about racism. And it was saying something about that with with us. It's much more up for interpretation. I definitely think it's saying something, but 
and maybe racism is part of that too, but there's a lot of things that you could interpret this movie to be about different things. And I, I think, yeah, sure. Classism. And I, I, there, there's a lot of different ways of looking at it. And I think that, um, because though it it's more ambiguous, it's not going to attract the same amount of Oscar buzz um, for maybe for best actress. Like, I hope so for best actress, but for best picture, I, I, I don't know if it's going to get as much of a um, especially by the time like next year rolls around. Right. Yeah. So it's worth noting. We haven't talked about this yet. Um, this film, well, I guess you mentioned this film's more ambitious than Get Out. And with that, I think Jordan Peele's like imagery he accomplishes in this movie, especially in the first third setup when he's taking his sweet time is jaw droppingly amazing. Like I, I could not believe a lot of the stuff I was looking at, like whether it was the, uh, the long zoom out with all the rabbits and yeah. the credits. Um, so good. The, oh my god the the scene with the little the little girl and her like caramel apple yep. and the rain hits behind her as soon as she steps through the door of the haunted house Gosh, like, for, for I me was it just was, like holy shit this is like an oscar award winning best cinematography horror film yeah for me it was when they um you know, towards the end of the movie when she started descending and she's in that escalator and the like there's this really gold tint that's covering yeah. like everything. I was just like, this is this is exactly what I want. Like, I love when horror movies do that type of thing where they're like they're like unreal. Like they had they make this lighting that's like so twisted and it makes you feel like you're in another reality. Yeah. The uh, I know like filmmakers love mirror shots. Um, they took that like to a whole nother level when she went into the house of mirrors with the little girl and, uh, like the amount of, I don't, I think they use CGI. There's no way they found out a way to set that up, but it's cool that it like toes the line of, there's no way mirrors could look like this and be this elaborate with the reflections. But the way the girl was walking around in that haunted house just looked incredible and was so creepy. Um, yeah, like super props to uh, to Jordan Peele for spending that much time on every shot. I just looked it up. His name is, oh no, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, but Mike Gulikis, who did um, It Follows, he did Glass. Oh and, shit, and, um, It Follows has looked beautiful too. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, I'll, I'll start talking about a little criticism. Um, I First of all, I really enjoyed this movie as well. Um, I think I, me and you enjoyed it, gave it the highest reviews um, of all of us. But um, there's a, there's been some criticism that I, I kind of agree with, um, that the movie didn't do a good job of balancing how much it explains about um, the world and what's going on versus how much is left uh, to a mystery. And um, I guess how, how do you think that balance compares to other horror movies? Like, Because obviously movie like Halloween doesn't explain how, um, you know, Jason is able to Michael Myers uh, or yeah, Michael Myers is able to serve, you know, is, um, you know, invincible, but, um, did they, did they do a good job of explaining and balancing the horror, like it being a fantasy horror versus a, uh, sci-fi horror or cause I, I feel like it was, 
kind of in this weird middle ground between being a, a fantasy horror and a sci-fi horror, um, over explaining some things and, and not explaining, um, other things. Yeah. See, I've, I've heard that a lot. And, um, I know that Brandon and Derek have issues with that too. And, um, yeah. I honestly, I thought that the balance was pretty great. Like I, there, there is a very clunky scene, um, towards the end where, um, one of the characters explains, um, yeah, she basically like explains what's happening. But um, I thought that scene was actually really interesting because she's explaining it from her perspective. And I got the impression, especially after a second viewing, that she didn't really she didn't really know what was going on either. Like she was kind of like piecing together what what she thinks the world is like. Um, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense what she's talking about. And that's, that's why I thought, I thought it worked was because they, first of all, how the movie plays out, like for, for most of the movie, I thought it was perfect because they, they, you, you first think that these doppelgangers are just their family's doppelgangers. And then they kind of hint that there's more of them. And then there are there's doppelgangers everywhere, and you're like, okay, this is happening to everyone. And then, it, then it again, narrows down to still being about their main family. Like I, I loved how all of that played out. I thought that was pretty perfect. And then, then there, like, yeah, it is a little clunky how she's talking about the tethering and how, and how, um, how they're connected because the, the cloning. But the thing is, like, she doesn't know about the cloning. That's the thing, though, is that she's kind of she's talking about these people who who may or may not have been there or that they were trying to do something. But she doesn't know what they were doing and she doesn't know how it works. And she Maybe doesn't that's like a folklore that kind of um, came up in their world. Like, that's uh, not necessarily like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, how, how would she know the whole history of what happened down there? Right. And Is like, just like this folklore that developed. I I honestly think they left a lot on the table. Like, I think they could go back and revisit this again with, with a, from a different side. You know, this, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if they will or anything like that, but this could be like an unbreakable thing where like, there's, there's a whole lot more going on that's thought out that, uh, that we're probably that we might never see, but there there's some sort of like society or some some other action that's happening that happened years ago, and all we know is that she was able to like do what she did because she was from the she was from the top, like she got switched and she was able to be part of their she like became part of their society, but she was different, so she was able to to kind of help take over. And, you know, it's one of those movies where like, if you're going to get wrapped up in the, like the little details of, you know, where did they get all their scissors or like, how did they make their costumes? Like that type of stuff. Like I couldn't care less about that type of thing. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't really my problems. It was more like the history that explaining the history. And, um, if I could jump in real quick, like I feel like, seeing her down there, like going after her doppelganger, I was piecing together enough of the mystery in my head in a way that wasn't weird or like 
I guess, cringy. I'll explain later. And I really didn't need that monologue that uh, that just went too far and made actually more questions than I had answers for. Like I was totally fine just seeing this underground bunker and realizing there was probably some experiments where they were down there eating rabbits and the boys, what he did with his doppelganger was enough mystery of how the tethering kind of worked. And I just wish it had laid down, like stayed on that subtle level um, instead of being presented to us in this uh, long story form. And uh, the visuals they had going along with that was the first and only time I kind of like, like went, oh, like what I was seeing on screen was just a little awkward um, cutting back and forth between people's movements down there and what was going on above bumping into walls like i didn't that just looked really weird yeah i mean i think it was supposed to look weird though that was that was very strange and i don't know i thought it was supposed to look weird in in that situation and it was just one of those things where like i don't know i don't you like you guys watch a lot of movies like for for me like i think for a lot of people people like that sort of explanation a little bit like i know that there still is like a lot to talk about with the movie like we left the theater both times i left the theater we like had like half hour 45 minute conversations about what the hell just happened and this was after a clunky bit where they explained what happened so right yeah i don't know that's true yeah i mean there's a there's a so much to unpack with this movie that um we could we could have a long conversation about what it what it means to each of us and what we think happened and <clears throat> and I'll second yeah. what you guys all said about uh, comparing with Get Out. I f- I liked the ambitiousness of this and um, I probably overall liked the movie more, even though Get Out was maybe more concise and uh, and easier. Anyway, I think it's pretty sweet that Jordan Peele's doing horror movies, though. It's like yeah. mm-hmm. fucking a yeah. I think I've I've heard. Um, I didn't really get this when I left the theater, but I've heard a lot of people talking about sequels to this movie and like where he would go with a sequel and would he continue their storyline or would he jump somewhere else? Or I, th- I think he talked about it in an interview. I think that's why. Yeah. I think he compared this movie to, or he approaching this movie, he was thinking about M night Shyamalan and unbreakable. And, um, I heard that in an interview. Or so maybe one of you told me that. That, so maybe maybe it's a franchise. Franchise it. Yeah, maybe in fifteen years we'll get a surprise uh, sequel, and then and then a mm-hmm. third sequel to wrap them all up. So yep. Anyway, let's move on to our final movie. Uh, Sean, what do you got? Yeah. Um, this one's an obvious pick for this month. In case you guys haven't heard, there's this new movie out now called Avengers Endgame. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Um, 
So I'll go over the uh, the, the plot synopsis um, real quick. After the devastating events of Avengers Infinity War, the universe is in ruins. With the help of remaining allies, <clears throat> of remaining allies, the Avengers assemble once more to order uh, in order to undo Thanos's actions and restore order to the universe. So obviously you can't really talk about this movie without spoiling Avengers Infinity War. So there's that. And then we're obviously going to spoil some stuff, some plot points and some hopefully won't won't do that too much but um so go see it just a just go yeah, see go it yeah go see it just go see it everyone's this movie already, made a billion dollars go oh. see it for your third yeah, time you've already, already made a billion dollars worldwide and it's probably going to have made over 450 million dollars by by the time this weekend is over um it's crazy just go see it um be like everyone else. Go see this movie. Um, conform. <laughs> yeah, conform. Um, so a quick over. I, I want to do a quick overview of what I really enjoyed about Infinity War so much because I was the only one who put it in my top 10. And I think we all really enjoyed Infinity War. But to me, it was kind of special um, in that it stood out as the, the probably the cleanest um Marvel movie that I had seen up to that point. I, there's a lot of Marvel movies that I had Marvel Studios movies that I I very much enjoyed, but to me Infinity War was the one that <clears throat> got all of the basics right. It um it drew from the past characters and and the histories and the develop, already developed characters and it had a very concise story where the villain we, we knew what the villain was after, what he was up to, and how he was going to accomplish his goals. And we understood with, with an impressive degree of clarity what all, the super, all, all of our heroes were doing to stop him, were trying to do to stop him. And everyone had an important role to play in the movie. Um, and I think this movie did that also really well. I was, it's just so impressive to have so many of these characters and to have all of them feel important in this movie. Um, I, I think just, you can kind of take it, take that for granted while watching these movies. Like, cause most movies you have one pro- protagonist and a simple story and it's, it's very linear. But once you start introducing many different characters doing their own thing and, and storylines that are crossing and, and separating, it gets so complicated that, um, that it's really easy to get, to get met for it to get messy. But that was, I, I thought what was so impressive about these two movies. I think, um, Endgame did the same thing really well. Um, it did a great job of, of kind of reestablishing where these characters were from the beginning. Um, I loved how it, it really lets you feel the impact of, um, the last movie. Um, I think everyone feared or a lot of people feared that this movie was just going to take, um, take off right where the last, last one left. And it was just going to undo everything that the last movie did with no lasting consequences. Or, you know, that was, I heard that criticism a bunch. That's the Um, fear. I don't. Yeah. That was the fear. At least this movie, it totally didn't do that. Um, it very quickly, um, just 
within the first 10 minutes of the movie um, said, no, this is not going to be what everyone thinks it's going to be. Um, Yeah, I was just super impressed um, with how they they took it in a totally new direction um, from what everyone was thinking. Uh, Uh, Yeah, man, I totally hear you. The beginning was pretty freaking special. Like how they started it off with a character who wasn't in the last movie and his impact like immediately brought weight, uh, emotional weight to what happened. And um, and then, yeah, like, uh, gosh, I don't know how much into spoilers we should get, but they, they did pick up pretty much right where where Infinity War left off. And they but that wasn't the low point. I think that's what like. Yeah, no. And they, they picked it up and then they were like, you know, I think they addressed those fears that you had of like, oh, well, you know, they're going to have to, you know, get Thanos and get him to reverse it. Well, they went and they got Thanos, you know, like, again, I don't know how much we're spoiling with this, but like, you know, they went and got Thanos. They had they have Captain Marvel now. They went and got Thanos. But like, you know, uh. Uh, they still need to get the Infinity Stones. They still need to figure this stuff out. And they're they were at rock bottom still. And it only got sadder from there. Like, that's just amazing stuff. Like, that's so good. I loved I loved how most of this movie wasn't an action movie. Like most of this movie was uh, sci fi um, time travel um, characters doing character things. A little bit of fighting, but not really, you know, like Infinity War, you kind of knew with the trailers that it was going to be like, okay, Thanos is coming. We're going to have to punch him. Okay, let's punch him, get him to stop what he's doing. Endgame, you know, it wasn't that at all. Like Thanos won at the end of Infinity War and uh, the characters are going to have to think and make some character choices and, uh, you know, uh, make, you know, make find a plan of some sort and make it all happen. And that's what most of this movie was. I'm pretty sure the only action scene between like double Captain America scene and Thanos was just that quick shot of Hawkeye. And there's like a good hour and 10 minutes in between those introduction. Yeah. And there's a good hour and 10 minutes between those two things. And I think the Hawkeye intro is the only like quote action in that gap. And that's yeah. super like ambitious. So yeah, definitely. And and then when they when there was the big action scene at the end, you know, like they you know, they obviously they had you know, they're gonna have big action. They have that the the scene where it's it's the full page comic book comic book where it's every character all at once, it's all happening. Like that was pretty breathtaking. Like that was like like it was like oh like I did that did that deliver for all of us? I know for me it did. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it, to totally. me it delivered more so than the Wakanda scene in Definitely. the last film, which I had well, issues yeah. with. Well, I was gonna say I feel like they they tend to drop the ball on that scene, like when they do those big ones with all the monsters against all the heroes. Like that's mm-hmm. always where those movies fail. Yeah, like it, it worked really well in the first Avengers movie with the you know the the Avengers assemble moment. Um, that goes around everyone. I can't. Oh my gosh. And then I don't the think the callback on that scene they... was. Oh yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, callback when they, yeah, when they called that back. I, oh my gosh, I lost my shit. Uh, but anyway, go on. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah it was the best yeah, version I of that. I think I done. agree. 
it hasn't yeah. it hasn't worked until uh, until this movie which yeah. is great um yeah so i don't know but like even then though too like it was it was such a big moment like I don't know, man. I almost didn't. I almost didn't need to see the action when, like, when when the two, when the you know the, the all the bad guys were coming at him and all the heroes were coming at him. I was like, I was like, oh man, we could just we could just cut right here and like oh yada 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 the action happens. But I mean, it did deliver. Don't get me wrong. I was very happy with the action in that scene. It just like it was it was just all the stuff with the characters was so good up until that moment that like that I I didn't even need the action. But um oh boy. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, in the action scenes were really char- like I think maybe why it worked so well is cuz it was really character based. Like, you know, the first 5 minutes of that action scene is one character versus one person. Yeah. And like it it's just so good. I don't know, it's like it <clears throat> everything we were kind of hoping by by seeing I think this is probably what we were hoping with the Wakanda scene. Yeah, I kind of understand why it went down the way it did, but with this one, it's just like this is how it, like it just feels right. It was almost like when like watching the airport scene in Civil War for the first time. It's like this feels like how I always hoped a comic book action movie scene would feel when I see all these characters together and fighting, and like generally you just don't get that feeling, but it's like whatever it is they figured out that perfect mixture of like it felt cool it, yeah in a way yeah, that it felt those cool massive cool. scenes sometimes don't yeah so um where would i redid my marvel uh my marvel ranking after i saw this movie because i was i was pretty jazzed about it so but I, i'm kind of wondering like where does this you know end game stack up for you guys against all the other ones for me I, so I don't I don't have a power ranking. Um, I have some movies that are my favorite. Uh, like I think still my favorite of a uh, Marvel Studios movie is um, Thor Ragnarok. It's just it's just the funnest movie. Um, but yeah, this is this is up there. I still think I liked uh, Infinity War better. Just I, I really appreciated how clean that movie was. Um, but yeah, it would be right up there. Um, Black Panther is also up there. It's in the top me. five. I don't know if it tops yeah. like Guardians one for me. Um, and it's been a, and maybe not Civil War, but I think it tops Winter Soldier. Um, and it's just right there in the top four, three. But I haven't made the list yet. Yeah, I I locked it down at number one. Like, I mean, maybe I'm just super psyched at it, but like, for me, this is like, this is everything I've wanted them to be. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of its own thing too. Cause it, it like, you have to take into account how impressive it is that they pulled this off. I think like comparing it to just like a, a small risky, but, um, pretty contained guardians of the galaxy movie. Um, like, how do you even compare that? Like, this is such a massive achievement in cinema history. Um, that, yeah, I, I don't really know how you compare it, but I, I'd probably put it at number two right now. Number two, Sean under Thor. Yeah. Or no, under the first one. No, Thor is my favorite, Yeah. yeah. but this, as far as the best, um, I'd put it under infinity war at number two. 
I even yeah, I waited a day, but it still put I put it at number one for me. All right, oh, Derek. Sure. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and honestly, if I'm being honest, I think it's like quite far ahead of the other ones. Even like ahead, of, like I think number two is Civil War for me. Yeah, me too. And I think this movie's quite a bit better than Civil War. Civil War just wasn't clean. I just uh, dude, you keep say, you, you keep saying that about about <laughs> Infinity War, but like I feel like Infinity War is a pretty messy movie too. Like same with me. Yeah, like I have I really liked Infinity War, but I have it at number nine. I think like uh, what? Oh um, man! All I right, would, guys. I have. I, I would. Yeah, we can have this conversation later. Yeah, we don't have to go over Civil the ranking. War, I think is kind of a mess. Time to time to throw a curveball in here. And bring it down with a different opinion. <laughs> um, I'm, I haven't heard anyone talk about this, so I'm curious as to what you guys think. Um, I have a little bit of beef with a good chunk of this movie. Um, and it is the adventure they go on when they travel back in time. Um, oh, geez, that was a spoiler. But we're way past that now. Um, yeah, we're way past that. I, spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers. I really feel like they dropped the ball on giving each of those crews an interesting time travel adventure moment. And only one of them played out in a like really compelling way, which I think was clearly the, um, the soul stone, uh, cliff moment. And all the other ones just were so flat to me. Um, you're crazy, man. Was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Whether it was them going back to the Guardians area was so basic. Um, the Thor scene was like touching, but nothing. Like, where, where's the adventure? Where's like the pace and the writing and the uh, the momentum that you could do with four people, four groups tra- time traveling? Like, it should have turned into like a great Indiana Jones movie at that point, at that moment. And it didn't at all. I don't know, man. the The New York stuff, the the New York stuff in the in the elevator, that whole plan of getting them back, the Captain America fight, like that was amazing. The then they go back further, and Tony gets talked to his dad. That was emotional. Um, again, Thor talking. I think. Uh, sorry, you go, Derek. Well, I was just saying. I think the way they wrote it, and I think this is the way it needed to be done, even if it's not the most exciting thing. The way they designed that whole time travel thing was to give closure for both the audience and these characters on these pivotal moments that have been holding them back their whole lives. With Tony, it's his relationship with his dad. With uh, Cap, it was meeting the love of his life and immediately being frozen for 70 years and never gets to see her. And with Thor, it was uh, his whole family being killed over the course of these movies. And especially his mom was like the big heavy weight weighing on him. And so these storylines were all structured around those three characters, which we all knew this was going to be kind of their ending. And so, I don't know, I think it needed to be done that way. And I thought that was so satisfying for me, at least like getting to see like those character arcs, even if some of them haven't been quite as successful as the others across these movies, but at least seeing that, that the writers really wanted to give them the proper send off. Like that, that was exciting for me, even if the action wasn't super exciting, that them going to those places for the reasons they did was what was so exciting to me. I, I loved Captain America in the elevator. 
Yeah. <laughs> that was so, so oh, clever. Yeah. 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 That was amazing. The uh-huh. Hell Hydra. I, yeah. So good. It's so then, funny from yeah. their perspective, to, like from the, the Hydra's perspective. Right? Uh, yeah, they're just oh, like, shit. oh, <laughs> wow, <No> cool. <laughs> you too? But even like, even like overweight Thor, like going home and like not really fitting in there anymore because he's like, you know, overweight and like just, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't need like, I didn't need so much running around and, uh, twists and turns i just i was so wrapped up in what the characters were doing for character reasons i didn't really i don't know i, I didn't feel like i was missing out on adventure at all and i thought the pacing was great like through all of that i i thought that whole section flew by in fact i felt like most of the movie flew by mm-hmm. yeah fair enough so i'm curious like now that this in i don't know what they're calling it the infinity saga infinity saga all the movies so far up till yeah i think so and i think far from home from edward norton's hulk to (laughs) avengers endgame i mean it it kind of feels like a uh like a retro action yeah iron man was the first one oh what i thought uh i thought hulk was they came out the same year i think but But iron Iron man Man was first first. yeah it kind of feels like a retroactive like decision to like they're rewriting history to make it the infinity saga because like that the idea is that these are where the stones were like throughout like like throughout all these movies they're looking for the stones but like were they though really like in I don't know. I, I feel like that's... They're kind of playing fast and loose for a little too long. Yeah. And then they're like, well, shit. But, yeah. That's fine. But, so this is this has always been kind of an experiment. Like, I think... Like, nobody knew if this was going to work or not. And I think even as far as, like, phase two, some people were questioning, is it worth it? Is it worth it to try to fit everything in? You know, we're losing Edgar Wright as a potential Ant-Man director because he didn't quite want to work within those constraints and you know Kevin Feige's had a stranglehold on all these movies and sometimes it's it's led to some you know some big name directors and stuff having disagreements leaving so but now we've come out on the the other side and we see like the payoff of telling a story that way are you guys interested in going through that again with any other property or do you think it was just a cool experiment that happened to work out? But I, I hope this helps them turn it up significant notches right away going forward. Like, I hope this is them now able to provide us a, like a Civil War-ish type movie almost every time after this. Um, I don't have too much patience for maybe like literally restarting from the pace all over again. But uh, that's that's my hope. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence a little bit. I, I've heard a lot of people say that they hope that after this, Marvel starts um, doing more, you know, smaller contained stories again. Um, that uh, and maybe taking more risks, um, changing up the tone or the the direction that they take it, the, these movies. Um, maybe giving directors a little more freedom to to tell the story that they want to tell but yeah i don't know um it that's a that's a crazy that would be crazy if they started over and and built up a whole new big saga like this um i don't know 
I mean, I think it's a safe bet to assume that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a good question. Just because it's like, I, I don't know, the, this happened all or, so organically. Like, from what I understand, they, they didn't know if Iron Man was going to be a hit. You know, they didn't know if phase one was going to be very successful. And if it wasn't, then they wouldn't have made any of these. They would have stopped at some point. And um, there are a handful of movies in there where you can point to them and say, uh, that movie did too much to set up the rest of the series. You know, Infinity War, Iron Man 2. But um, I think overall, like it, it's pretty amazing that they were able to tell such a long, long story. And I don't know. I feel like with it, it kind of shows that with a little planning, you could there's there's no reason why you couldn't um, make things happen a little bit longer. Like you can you can tell more simple movies like like Ant-Man or something and then, you know, have other things that are kind of leading to a bigger thing and. I don't know, have them all come together. It's pretty neat. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Or on the other hand, they might, um, seeing the immense success of these movies, um, they might try to fix some of the, some of the mistakes that they made early on and, and take more control and, um, tell a more linear story with, with specific intent to build to another big climax. Um, but at least as far as what's on their books, it, it does seem like they're going to the back to the more contained stories. Captain Adam. Without the Captain Russos, Adam. they're going to have to find someone to trust with this type of Captain massive Adam. ordeal. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I what? I mean, I know he's a superhero. Captain Adam. Is that his name? Isn't he, isn't he DC? DC? I think he's DC. Oh, yeah. what? Hold on. Are you thinking of Captain Marvel? <laughs> you thinking of Adam Warlock? Warlock? Are you thinking of Spider-Man? I would love to see a Captain Adam movie, though. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, move on. <laughs> well, well, we know James Gunn's back. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is great. And I know before he left, he was kind of, from what I, I remember they were talking about, he was kind of building his own thing post-Infinity Saga. Hmm. Like, uh they're calling it like Marvel Galactic. Right. And while Kevin Feige was going to keep doing like the Avenger stuff on earth and James Gunn would be doing more of the big, big story stuff outside earth. So I'm curious how much they brought him back into that or, or if it's just back for guardians, then he's gone or what? Well, if you, you look know. at it, there's Captain Marvel who's outer space based and obviously guardians of the galaxy hanging out with Thor. Like, they're, mm. I don't know. They the as guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. And aren't they still doing a Black Widow origin story? Mm-hmm. Yep. Andy. Yeah, we know there's gonna be Black Widow. We know there's gonna be Black Panther and the and the fucking X Men. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Which there's no well, specific yeah, plans yet, <laughs> but holy crap. Yeah. That's yeah. there's potential. I hope. Yeah, do I, they I think right they, off the bat bring in X Men? No, they or should. Do they like they should let X Men sit for like five years. Yeah, yeah. there's like, no specific plans. There's yet. still an X Men movie coming out. Yeah, like yeah, Dark Phoenix comes out do, this summer. They spent a lot of money on those properties. Do they? Do they uh, jump right into them to try and get them to pay off? Or yeah, yeah. 
I think they they'll probably be smart with yeah, it. They'll they'll have a plan of some sort. I think they should do a Fantastic Four movie before they do X Men, just because mm. we haven't had a real good Fantastic Four movie besides The Incredibles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's another interesting thing is with bringing in um, Fox. Do they do uh, more Fox style um, of superhero movies? Like, do they do a, another Deadpool? With Ryan, like a Ryan Reynolds Deadpool movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like financially, they'd be kind of stupid not to do a Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds Deadpool right. movie. But do they try and work it into their um, Avengers storyline or do they just kind of put that out on its own? Or well, From what I understand, uh, from what I've heard, I could be totally wrong on this, but Ryan Reynolds Deadpool is going to be the only thing left that they're going to like continue on from the X-Men that is currently going on hmm. over there. At Fox. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Deadpool's so, uh, like self referential. <laughs> they could easily like just have him <laughs> make a comment about being like absorbed into the MCU. Right. And like, that's <laughs> oh, all they'd have to do. To, like, right. Right. Yeah. Just literally and, say like, what's happening. Want- yeah. So we've been off Avengers for a little while now. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anything else we want to say before we wrap it up? It's pretty good, guys. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Did you, what do you guys think about superhero movies in general? We don't have to really get into this, but like, do you think do you think this is a climax for superhero movies? Like, period or no? Do you think nope. um, we're just gonna we our thirst is just. All the more. They're still still making so much money. And Uh, like people are going to always talk about superhero fatigue. But as long as mm -hmm. like they keep finding ways to make them interesting, people will keep paying for them. You know, it's like the thing. Like people. People paid for Transformers for years. You know, people like Transformers made a lot of money for four five movies but like you know and they were all but they were all bad people lost interest in them and now they're not making as much money as they were before but these movies are still making money and there are still stories to be told i mean i know i don't think any of us are huge comic book experts but there are all there there's basically like unlimited stories that they can tell so as long as they continue to find ways to make them interesting then um i don't know i don't see why we'd why this would be the ultimate climax I'm not saying that they're going to stop making superhero movies. I'm saying like, is it going to start fading away? Kind of like how a lot of people compare um, superhero genre to the Western and how that kind of slowly faded out um, after this. Eventually, but that's not the trend right now. So there's no reason to like start predicting that yet. Yeah. I think there'll be clear signs of, of like failure or fade, you know, like may, maybe, you know, like we'll see what phase three looks like, but, or phase four looks like, but uh, no one knows anything about phase four. And if like, if phase four kicks off with a guardians Thor movie, like that's going to make a lot of money, you know? And, and then like Captain Marvel made a lot of money. People will be excited for a second Captain Marvel movie. Like, I don't know. I just, I don't think we have to worry about phase four quite yet. And uh, it depends on if those movies come out and they're, they're boring. I think if they come out and it's like, Oh, that was boring. Then, then, then it'll start fading. But um, there's no reason for us to think that yet. I don't think. Cool. Well, uh, I guess that wraps up our episode. So um, do you guys want to say how they can find you online? Brandon. 
Uh, so you can find me at Letterbox at Beb. What about you, Sean? Uh, you can find me at Letterboxd at uh, Bulbinator. Derek? You can find me on Letterboxd at Chicken Tech. And uh, I'm Nick Moffat, and you can find me on Letterboxd uh, Mothman. So um, once again, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.